this one into the night. Jimmy Rollins is going to turn for three. Here he comes. In the air, down the right field line. Way back there. On an RBI hit by Mitchie Poole. Change the throw to the plate. It's in the air. He is. Oh! The 0-2 What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the Phillies Nation podcast. I'm Nathan Ackerman coming at you with what is going to be a wildcard series recap and an NLDS preview all wrapped into one. Uh, thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Unfortunately, you are stuck with me today. Just me on the pod here. No co-hosts, no guests. It is going to be just me talking at you the whole time. And that was easy. I mean, with this wild card round between the Phillies and the Marlins, there was one team that was clearly just on a different plane, um, just the clearly superior team. And you saw that they just kind of took care of things. Uh, really no stressful parts of that of that round. I mean, I guess you could say top of the seventh in game one, the Marlins had the tying run on base. Um, Zach Wheeler had kind of run into a little bit of trouble there. Jose Alvarado came in, pretty much put out that fire. Like one guy reached in the eighth, one guy reached in the ninth. But I mean, it was really quite a stress-free win in game one and then game two, obviously, even more so. Let's get into some of the overall takeaways from those two games. And I think you have to start with the overall. I mean, you 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 can't really pick an MVP of the wild card round because it was kind of tied between Aaron, Nola, and Zach Wheeler. I mean, just completely outstanding uh wheeler game one and uh nola game two this is what got them to the world series last year it was those two guys at the top of the staff they were incredible they ran out of gas a little bit toward the end and i mean ultimately you could argue that that's why they they fell short obviously you know what happened in game six happened in game six but when those two guys started to slow down the phillies started to slow down as well and when they were hot that's what the got the phillies into playing in uh, early November it wound up as so more of the same this year um, seven innings sorry six and two thirds for Wheeler in game one one run nine strikeouts I think it was and then Nola in game two at seven shutout frames and the the thing that stood out to me was the efficiency by both of those guys didn't walk anybody except for one for Nola they were outstanding and that was what worked for them last year. And if they have those two guys pitching like that at the top of the staff this year, um, the sky's the limit. I mean, they can win the whole thing and they will. In fact, if you get that for the entire month of October, obviously it's hard to, to repeat that, but if they do, they're going to win the whole thing. So that was obviously the takeaway. The other one is, and I kind of touched on this with the starters, but it extends to the whole staff too, the walks. They walked one guy, and I think that's why there was so many stress-free frames, so much um, low-anxiety baseball. Apparently, good things happen when you don't walk guys and you don't give guys free outs or free base runners, that is. Um, obviously, a lot of that is because it was the Marlins, and their offense isn't exactly one that scares you. And if you kind of say, I'm going to throw you strikes and you're going to have to beat us, more often than not, they're not because the offense is just not all that great. But still, it was important to be all over the plate. And I think um, that's that's why you saw the lines that they did, especially on the pitch counts that they had. And then the same thing was true with the pen, too. Um, two and a third in game one, two innings in game two, not a single walk. And the more they can keep that up, obviously, 
that is going to help them, both starters and the Penn team as a whole, all that good stuff. I want to talk about Dusty Wathen because that was a big takeaway from game one. There were sort of three plays there that were kind of on the fence. Um, and and I, I kind of want to get into that a, a tiny bit because um, it was obviously overshadowed by the win and then overshadowed even more on Wednesday by the win and the fact that they swept that round. But it was kind of a big story after game one. And if we had done a pod after game one, we would have been talking about that a lot. So want to get into that a little tiny bit. So the first one, the play in the first, Alec Bohm hits a sac- hits what would have been a sacrifice fly down the right field line to Jesus Sanchez. Uh, Wathen holds Kyle Schwarber at third. This was the first one that kind of irked some folks when saying, uh, would have been an easy run. I actually agreed with the idea to hold him there. You have you have Harper on deck, uh, still nobody out. You have two men in scoring position. If you run into an out there, and there are reasons to think that you would. I mean, Kyle Schwarber, newsflash, is not exactly the fastest guy on the planet. Sanchez has a good arm out and right. Uh, it's just, it's, it's, it's a risk that after you get two guys on to start the first, obviously you want to put a run on the board, but the last thing you want to do is to run into and out on the base path. So that would kill all the momentum that you might've, um, been building toward there in the bottom of the first. So that one was one of those calls that a lot of people were talking about. I kind of agreed with that. Obviously it didn't work out. And in hindsight, you'd say, yeah, I'll send him because the next two guys are going to make next three guys are not going to get the job done, but um, I think there was a little bit too much scrutiny on on Wathen for that call. The second one, Castellanos scores or tries to score on a single from Bryson Stott, third or fourth inning, um, gets thrown out at the plate by Jazz Chisholm Jr. That one, look, I understand like the play was close and it took a good throw and it was perfectly online. The throw was 90 miles an hour, which is not exactly a cannon in the modern MLB. Uh, he kind of took a, a minute or two to get the ball out of his glove. It wasn't exactly the smoothest transfer, and the play wasn't that close. I mean, he was out by a good bit. Um, what the Phillies said after the game was that the scouting said that his arm was fine, but he's not super accurate. And then, of course, they test him, and they get an accurate throw out of him. I didn't I didn't think there was a need for that send right there. Um Nobody out in that spot as well. And then the play in the eighth where Castellanos hits a double down the left field line. Harper runs through a very um, unambiguous stop sign and he beats the throw by a mile, maybe two. And there were some people who were saying, look, there's there's nobody out. You don't want to force that in that spot. That's exactly what I was trying to get out on the plane the first inning there. But I mean, that was not a close play at the plate, like not even close at all. Uh, and the throw was perfectly online. The relay was great. The throw was online and he slid. He didn't really have to. That was not close. So Harper said after the game, he didn't see Wathen put up the stop sign. Call me skeptical. I don't believe him at all. I don't believe him one bit. Um, and that's fine. You know, if 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 you're going to see a, a, a stop sign that I thought was pretty uh egregiously bad i think you should run through that and it's and it's you know it's harper so he's not he's 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 run through his fair share of stop signs in the past let's just say that so it was you know there were there were there were three kind of questionable sends versus holds in that game um i thought each one kind of got worse as the game went one of them i didn't really think was all that bad but something to monitor because you know obviously against the marlins in a series where you're outplaying them like that 
uh, and it's not even close and you're just the far superior team, it's not going to hurt you. And a series against the Braves where the games might be a little bit closer or something like that could go a long way. I don't think it's like time to press the panic button on, on Dusty Wath and I'm not calling for a new third base coach in the middle of the playoffs, but um, you know, something to file away, something to, to think about as we move deeper into the playoffs here. Tim Kelly wrote a good article on that after game one, go ahead and check that out if you haven't yet. Then a couple things, a couple of other things about the wildcard series that I thought are interesting. Um, Just kind of speak to how, how well this team is playing right now. If you, Remember back to last year when the Phillies went into St. Louis and they took on the Cardinals. They swept that that round and it was full of moments, right? Gene Segura's go-ahead knock. Alec Bohm had that hit by pitch where he gets hit like on the hand and then immediately turns toward the bench and is like yelling. He's all fired up. Um, Sir Anthony struck out back-to-back MVP finalists and Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado in the eighth inning, I, w- I want to say it was. Zach Eflin got a save. I mean, there were just tons of things that we are going to remember for years to come. And we still talk about even to this day. This year, there was like one and it was the stock grand slam in game two. And they didn't even really need it, to be completely honest. I mean, they still win that game if that doesn't happen. I I mean, the moments are fun and all that. Um, Last year's wildcard round, I would say, was kind of magical. Many words come to mind when I'm thinking about the wildcard series against the Marlins. Magical is not one of them. Uh, I think it was just, again, a far superior brand of baseball that they played. It was just, if if last year's wildcard round and, and really last year's playoffs as a whole was all oh, like the Phillies get a huge moment from everybody on the roster. I, I think you saw in the wildcard series against the, against the Marlins this week, what it can look like when the Phillies are playing like that. And it's not anxiety. Again, this is against the Marlins. It's not going to be that easy against the Braves, whoever they would play in the NLCS and whoever they would play in the fall classic. But like, I just think it goes to show how much superior this team is to last year's team. Yeah. The Cardinals were better than the Marlins. So it took a lot more to beat them, but um that was just an insane display of baseball that the Phillies put on the last two days. And if they play like that, again, if they play like that, um, they're going to go far. The last thing about the wild card series that I want to talk about was something that Jeff Passan said on the baseball tonight podcast on Thursday morning. He said that after the diamondbacks swept the brewers in Milwaukee, he was talking with a diamondbacks player and he told him, I'm glad we weren't playing in Philadelphia, which is, I mean, we've heard some people, Brian Snicker, I think even said he doesn't want to play the Phillies in the playoffs, but like to openly admit that that environment is so rambunctious and just insane that you don't want to play there. And athletes are rarely going to say that. A lot of them are going to say, we, we welcome that environment. We're not scared of it. And maybe they're not scared of it, but to admit that that's not a place that you want to play, I think speaks to just how insane CBP was this week. And nobody wants to play there. The Braves don't want to play there. Nobody wants to play there. And if that's the kind of environment that they're they're going to get, and you're going to get those kind of quotes out of it. The Diamondbacks are a confident team. That team is good. They know that they're good. Um, Obviously, you don't know who said that quote. 
I mean, just the fact that anybody would say something like that, um, and the fact that they were they've been watching too, and they've been seeing what's happening across the country, and they're like, I don't want to play there. I just think speaks volumes to how tough it is to play at that place. And again, I'll say it again. If it's going to be like that in the NL DS, and I think it will be, see so no reason why it would not be from a from an environment standpoint, it's going to be tough to play there. Let's get into that round, the NLDS that everybody wants to see. One of the, I mean, one of the more anticipated uh, division series matchups you will ever see. This is this is the matchup that everybody wanted. Obviously, the rematch from 2022 when the Phillies won in four. You know, again, everybody's been talking about this matchup all year, and we're finally going to get that. The Braves are incredible. They won 104 games this year, plus 231, won 104 games, slugged 501 as a team, which is the greatest of all time. And to to put that into, into, into context, the Braves slugged 501. Bryce Harper this year slugged 499. So take what Bryce Harper did this year maybe take one of his outs and turn it into a double. And that's what the Braves did as a team. And Bryce Harper had a phenomenal year. Um, the Braves are really good and they can really hit. And yeah, I mean, to, to, to pick up three wins in five games against that team, they're going to need some, some pitching performances like the ones that they got against the, against the Marlins. Um, the Braves are really good. There's no hiding from that fact, but the Phillies, are pretty good themselves. You saw how they played against the Marlins too, plus 81 in the run differential column this year. And I talked about how the Braves won 104 games this regular season. The Phillies since June 3rd, including the wild card round, are a total of 67 and 40, which is a 101 win pace stretched out over a full season. So if you take the last, let's see, it's October 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 four months or so i mean the phillies haven't been as good as as the braves but in terms of the win loss column their pace in the last four months of the season has been not far off from what the braves have been doing this season as a as a as a whole so this isn't your typical you know 14 games back in the standings like crazy underdog goes in and takes on the braves they're not favorite of course they're not going to be the favorite in you know a five game set against one of the best offenses of all time and a team that won 104 games. They won 104 games for a reason, of course. Um, but it's going to be a good series. Um, we saw the games between them all year. I mean, the Phillies went five and eight. The Braves outscored them by 16 runs. But in, in those 13 games, seven games were within two runs, nine games were within three runs. So that means that only four of the 13 games were decided by four runs or more so they played them close all year and we saw um, a lot of that toward the end of September when the Phillies went down to Atlanta took two out of three um, they played them close all year every game was exciting and I expect to see more of that here in the playoffs um, let's get into some of the pitching matchups that these teams are going to see game one the Phillies are TBD in that column I would be shocked if it's not Ranger Suarez they could go with Christopher Sanchez. I I I guess that's a possibility too. Uh, I just think they're going to take the playoff pedigree um, Ranger. I mean, a lot of the reason why they were able to knock off the Braves last year was because Ranger um, didn't have his best outing in game one, but he was able to kind of 
limit the damage when it came up. Um, and, and they were able to steal game one on the road. And they talk, they've been talking for the last, it feels like five years about his heartbeat and how he never gets phased by the moment. And um, uh, I think they're going to go with Ranger in game one. Uh, I don't think Sanchez would be a bad move. You obviously saw what he did all season. He was outstanding in the five spot in the rotation, which sounds crazy to say at this point, because he was like their second best starter all year. I don't think they're going to throw Tywin Walker in a playoff game. I, I mean, I don't think they're going to start Tywin Walker in a playoff game. There might be a spot in the game where the Phillies are up, you know, seven or down seven, um, and they could and they could get him some work there. I I don't think he's going to be starting, especially the Braves. Their first inning is offense is one of the best first inning offenses of all time. They're insane in the first, and Tywin Walker has been fine from innings two through six, two through seven, but it's the first where he kind of runs into some problems. Uh, he's had some velo problems early in his starts. I That's seems like about as bad of a matchup as you could possibly get in the first inning there. I guess the only thing that he has going for him is he's righty um, helps against Acuna doesn't really help against Matt Olson. So it's kind of like a pick your poison thing kind of there. I think they're going to go with Ranger in game one. Uh, and for the Braves, it'll be Spencer Strider, 386 ERA on the season. I had that written down somewhere, and then it it, it went away. But somewhere in that ballpark, I think it was 386 for Strider. So the earn run average numbers aren't going to jump off the page to you, although there is a weird split in that. I can't really explain it. But against losing teams this year, he had a 533 earned run average. Against 500 or greater teams, he was at 285. Uh, it doesn't really make any sense to me. I guess he just rises to the moment or whatever you want to call it. But the Phillies obviously are in that winning team group. So um, yeah, they, they had trouble with Strider this year. He went six innings, one run, six innings, two runs, seven innings, one run, seven innings, three runs in his four starts against the Phillies this regular season. Um, and obviously the thing that like defines Spencer Strider's 2023, the reason he's going to be top three, four, five, whatever in the Cy Young voting is 281 strikeouts led all of baseball by a healthy margin, 44 strikeouts over Kevin Gosman. So um, he's tough. Obviously the Phillies have had trouble with him this regular season. Of course, when they match up against him in the, in the NLDS, um, everyone's mind's going to go back to what happened last year where they got him at home at um, Citizens Bank Park. He gave up a bunch of runs in three innings or so. The Reese Hoskins bat spike um, is an image that will live forever in Philly's lore. Um, Strider was compromised. He was not healthy in that, in that start. So um, I think that's worth keeping in mind when, you know, obviously it instills some confidence that they got to him last year on that stage, but he wasn't healthy and, um, you know, important consideration there, but health is still going to be an issue for the Braves in the NLDS game two. For the Phillies, it's going to be Zach Wheeler, and the Braves are going to try out Max Freed. So Freed, 255 season ERA, only made 14 starts, hasn't pitched since September 21st. Do you remember when Max Freed threw on the 21st night of September? He's had a blister on his finger, um, pitched in a simulated game. The Braves have been doing these like simulated games. He pitched with a with a Band-Aid and he gave up a couple of home runs. He can't use that Band-Aid in the NLDS. Um, so Freed's going to be out there for game two. 
how the blister affects him remains to be seen. Um, it's obviously a huge factor because if you have a compromised freed going up against Zach Wheeler, who just pitched the way that he pitched against the Marlins, and we've seen what he's done in the playoffs since last year. I mean, he's been incredible. Um, Freed's good, obviously, but if he's coming into this game like Strider came into that game three against the Phillies last year, it's it's might be a rough go for him. Game three, it's going to be Aaron Nola for the Phillies at home, <clears throat> just like he threw game three at home against the Braves last year. The Braves are TBD on their front for the starting pitching side of things for game three. It might be Bryce Elder. That seems to be like the leading candidate as things stand right now. 381 earn run average on the season, but again, some wild splits from him. 297 in the first half, that jumped to 511 in the second half, and it was not on its way down. 568 in September. And his two starts against the Phillies this year kind of mirrored that same first half, second half trend. Um, seven scoreless against them in June. 3.2 innings, four runs when he faced the Phillies in September. Something important that the Phillies are going to get in those first three is they're going to get Nola at, at home. Um, he's been kind of a home road splits guy for the past few years. And this year is no exception. 329 at home, 543 on the road in the 2023 regular season. That doesn't count the seven shutout that he threw against the Marlins in game two. So I think that was good. There was a way where they could have like maximized the Nola starts by throwing Wheeler game one on short rest, having him come back for game four, throwing Nola game two, having him come back for game five. I don't even know if that's worth it. Obviously you want those guys out there for as many starts as they can. Um, but to get that, that home start from Nola in game three and to get Wheeler on, it'll be extra rest, which is something that he does, hasn't always loved. He doesn't really like the extra day. Um, but I think that's that's preferred over three days rest, especially when he threw 100 pitches on Tuesday against the Marlins. So um, that's how the Phillies are going to line up for the first three games. Game four is TBD. I would guess that they'd go with Ranger Suarez again. They could go maybe Suarez for game one, Christopher Sanchez for game four, if they want to give him a little bit of a different look. Um, and then game five, if it gets that far, will be Zach Wheeler versus Max Freed. I didn't mention who the Braves were throwing in game four. That's going to be Spencer Strider again, which is um, sure to be a rowdy environment to say the least. Uh, we know what CBP has looked like at home in the playoffs the past couple of years. And that is against people who did not um, express their wish that there were no fans in MLB stadiums like Strider did a couple weeks ago, um, said that was one of his hot takes, that he doesn't want any fans in the stands because you don't need all that. You can have them in the upper deck, but that's it. Um, yeah, I I think a lot of fans are going to take that to heart and they're, they're going to, um, let's just say, take up his challenge on that and um, should be a fun game for if it gets there, I guess I, I, I should say, because there's no promises, but that's what the Phillies and Braves are going to look like on the pitching side. Game one, just to just recap, Ranger versus Spencer Strider. Game two, Wheeler versus Freed. Three, Nola versus Bryce Elder, question mark. Game four, Ranger Suarez, question mark, versus Strider. And then game five, Zach Wheeler versus Max Freed. And the big question mark there is, again, with, with Max Freed and whether 
how the blister is going to hold up after coming back. He'll be on regular rest, but it seems like for him, there's more of a question about game five after having pitched game two than there is about his readiness for game two. So Braves have some question marks again on the pitching side. Charlie Morton is out. He's out for the whole round. Um, I'm not sure if it's all of October or the whole NLDS, but either way, he won't be making a start against the Phillies this upcoming week. So yeah, the Braves pitching is kind of hobbling in, at least on the starting front. And um, the Phillies will only get one NOLA start. I guess you could say that that's like a little bit of a drawback, but um, the way that he and Wheeler threw in the wild card series has you pretty confident from a pitching standpoint. Let's go through, we, we did this for the Marlins. <clears throat> Let's go through some of the position by position breakdowns to see who has the edge between the Phillies and the Braves in the upcoming NLDS. Um, the Marlins lineup was a little bit more fluid, if you will, a lot more moving parts. I think the Braves is pretty much set. That's kind of what happens when you slug 501 as a team and there's really no easy outs. I mean, there were points in as late as like August, where you look at their daily lineups and like the worst guy as like a 790 OPS, which is absurd. Um, but anyway, start with the catcher. The Phillies, obviously, JT, Real Muto, Braves, Sean Murphy. Going to give the edge here to Sean Murphy, although these are like two of the top, I don't know, five, can we say? Four or five catchers in the game. Could even maybe go three or four. Um Edge to Sean Murphy there, but that's that's a slight edge, I will say. First base, Bryce Harper versus Matt Olson, And it's kind of a matter of interpretation on this one. If you want to factor in playoff pedigree um, and you are using Harper's 2022 postseason as kind of a driving factor, you can give the edge to Harper. It's hard to argue with Matt Olson, 54 homers, and a guy who's, who's probably going to finish third in MVP voting in the National League, fourth at minimum. Um, yeah, 54 homers speaks for itself. He had an OPS this year of 993. Um, Harper 900 on the dot. And I'm not going to make this like this guy had a higher OPS, so I'm going to give him the edge, but it's it's hard to argue with Matt Olson this year. So I'm going to go slight edge to the Braves there. Um, but again, slight edge. And if you were going to do a career-based or playoff pedigree-based thing, hard to argue with Harper there. I could see that one going either way. Bryson Stott at second base obviously hit the huge grand slam in game two of the wild card series. Uh, might be a gold glove finalist, might win the gold glove this year. Ozzie Albies had kind of a bounce back year, 33 homers and an 849 OPS. Um, good with the glove too. Again, hard to argue with that. Stott's been great. Going to go edge to the Braves and Ozzie Albies here. Shortstop Trey Turner versus Orlando Arcia. Kind of the same way we approached this question against the Marlins. Ask me this on August 1st, and it's a, a different conversation. But right now, it's got to be Trey Turner. He was awesome in the wildcard series. Again, two more hits each game. Stole a couple bags. Kind of picked up right where he left off at the end of the regular season. Edge Phillies there. I think that one's pretty pretty hands down, if you will. Over at third base, Alec Bohm, Austin Riley, um, Edge Atlanta. How many homers did Austin Riley hit this year? 37 OPS was 861, Edge to the Braves and to Austin Riley there. Left field, going to see a lot more Brandon Marsh, obviously, than you did in the wildcard series. 
might platoon him with Christian Pache. He might start against Max Fried, the lefty. Eddie Rosario, left field for the Mar- for the Braves, excuse me. Edge to the Phillies platoon there, I guess I'll say, which will usually be Brandon Marsh, should face a righty in three of the five games. And even when they don't, uh, Pache had a nice wild card round. He, you know, they asked him to do a very specific job, which was be somewhat competent with the bat and play a great left field. And I think he did that in the wild card series. Kind of cooled off with the bat as, as the regular season wore down, but going to give the edge to the Phillies and their little like mini platoon that they have going on over there. Center field, Michael Harris, the second versus Johan Rojas. Um, Johan Rojas has been more than the Phillies have asked for from the plate. Um, and he's been, I mean, honestly, even more than they've asked for with the glove, they asked for phenomenal and they've gotten otherworldly. Michael Harris has been great with the glove as well. Put up an 808 OPS this year. Going to have to give the edge to the Braves there, but I think that one's closer than a lot of people think. Right field, Nick Castellanos played well in the wild card series. Also, Ronald Acuna Jr. is going to win the MVP. Big edge to the Braves there, and you would say that against pretty much any right fielder in the sport. And then I designated hitter Kyle Schwarber versus Marcel Ozuna. Schwarber, you know you know his profile. He's going to walk, he's going to strike out, and he's going to hit homers. Uh, Marcel Ozuna, 40 homers this year, 905 OPS. He has had kind of a down year last year, and he's turned into one of the the best hitters in the sport, at least the best power hitters in the sport. This year, edge goes to the Braves there. So to recap, the Braves have the edge, according to me, at catcher, first base, second base, third base, center field, right field, and designated hitter. I think you got to give the edge to the Phillies from a pitching standpoint, at least from a starting pitching standpoint. Um Obviously, Strider versus Suarez game one, you give the edge to the Braves there, but then Wheeler versus a maybe compromised Freed, got to give the edge to the Phillies there. Nola versus Bryce Elder, again, with that rough second half that he had in the rough September, got to give the edge to the Phillies there. Game four, probably going to be Suarez versus Strider again, got to give the edge to the Braves there. But again, if the Phillies can get to Strider at home the way that they did last year, closer than you might think and then if if it gets to game five you're going to have freed coming back on again regular rest but with some questions about the about the blister and wheeler um i mean what more is there to say about him i think you got to give the phillies the edge in that game too so from a pitching standpoint um even in the bullpen too the braves rysel iglesias has been probably their most reliable reliever him and aj minter on the season Minter has been good, lefty, of course. But the Phillies hit lefties well. Harper hits lefties well, wildcard series not notwithstanding. Uh, Bryson Stott hits lefties well. Kyle Schwarber hits lefties well. And then pretty much everybody else in their bullpen, except for another former 2022 National League champ in Brad Hand, throws from the right-hand side. I think that's a benefit for the Phillies. Um, the way that Jose Alvarado looked in the wildcard round, he was awesome. Uh, Jeff Hoffman got a big out Craig Kimbrell owned by Josh Bell, but that's kind of what Josh Bell does to the Phillies and to Kimbrell specifically. Other than that, he looked great. Gregory Soto allowed a run against the Marlins in game two, but they were up seven. Oh, he's kind of just trying to pound the plate and, you know, let them, let them put it in play rather than, you know, working himself into some trouble. Don't have an issue with that there. And then Orion Kirkering. I mean, what more can you say? Nine pitches got a strikeout. He looked he looks like the real deal. 
I mean, we talked about it last week. I talked about it with Ty. They're not going to have him closing any one-run games against the Braves, you know, but shoot, as like your fifth or sixth best option in the pen, we kind of walked through a draft and we had him like seventh, but you could easily have him fourth or fifth or sixth. That's a pretty good place to be. And if he's number seven, like that's a Ryan Kirkering in your seventh spot, that's pretty strong. So I think the Phillies have a clear edge from a, a pitching standpoint too, both in the rotation and in the bullpen. Um, and I'm going to give them pretty sizable advantages there too. I don't think that that's necessarily much of a toss up. So Phillies look good from a pitching standpoint. Obviously it's going to be tough to quiet the Braves offense slugged 501. Have I mentioned that yet? And they hit 307 home runs as a team, which tied the all time MLB record set by the 2019 twins. But um, I mean, I guess if there's any pitching staff that's going to do it from here on out, it's probably going to be the Phillies Diamondbacks have a case, not in the bullpen, but in the starting staff. I mean, it's it's going to be a great a great matchup between the Phillies pitching staff and the Braves uh, offense. As far as the Phillies NLDS roster goes, I think it's going to look a lot like the wild card series one. Did we have probably twelve locks in Stubbs, Real Muto, Harper, Stott, Turner, Bohm, Marsh, Rojas, Castellanos, Schwarber, Edmundo Sosa, and I think Jake Cave. Um, you want kind of more left-handed options on the bench there. I think he's going to find his way on the roster. And then it's one of Christian Pache or Weston Wilson. Weston Wilson might offer you a little more with the bat, but I think they kind of showed against the Marlins. They they had a choice between those two guys and they started Pache in each of the of the two wildcard games against a left-handed starter. Don't see any reason why they would change their thinking now. I think Wilson gets left off the roster. Pache gets in. And then on the pitching standpoint, probably the same roster again, except for one spot. Obviously, you have Nola, Wheeler, Suarez, Sanchez, Walker, Alvarado, uh, Dominguez, Hoffman, Kimbrell, Soto, Kirkering, Strum. And then you have one more spot for Michael Lorenzen. I guess it could be Junior Marte, Andrew Bellotti. No, not Andrew Bellotti. I'm, it seems like process of elimination would just give you uh, Lorenz in there actually looks pretty okay in his couple relief appearances toward the end of the season when he was moved out of the starting rotation. So I think it's going to be pretty much the same roster from a pitching standpoint too, except for uh, Lorenz in getting that last spot over Weston Wilson. So that's what your NLDS is going to look like. It obviously is going to hinge a lot on Max Freed's health. It's going to hinge a lot on what the Phillies get out of whoever they pick for game one and game four. And it's going to hinge a lot on Wheeler Nola sort of repeating or coming close to matching what they did against the Marlins. Um, it's going to be a fascinating series. It's the one that everybody's wanted to see all year and we're finally going to get it. I will give you my predictions, but let's go around the league first, build up some anticipation a bit. Twins Astros. I am high on the twins. I'm going to take the twins in four. Um, you saw it in the wild card round against the blue Jays. They can pitch, they can pitch and that target field atmosphere. It was not, it wasn't quite CBP, but it was electric. Uh, I think the twins get it done. The Astros obviously know how to win in the playoffs, but it's boring to pick them every single year. So let's go twins in four. Rangers Orioles I think this is going to be an interesting one I was down on the Rangers after they choked away the AL West in the last weekend of the of the season 
I had wanted to pick them to win the pennant. Then they had to play in the wild card round and they had burned through a lot of their pitching and they went out there and the Rays played terrible baseball in front of seven fans, um, which I mean, come on. It's, I, I understand that it's 3 PM on a Wednesday. You got to get more than 19,000 people out to the game. Sorry, 20,000 people on Wednesday, 19,000 on Tuesday. Um, got to do better than that. I understand it's, it's a bad game time, but that was a tough look. And the Rays played terrible baseball, but the Rangers played great baseball too. They looked really good. The Orioles, though, have been super exciting to watch. Fun upstart team. Pitching has been significantly improved in the second half. Um, I think the Rangers get that done. I think they get it done in five. It's going to be a close series. I'm, I have kind of have a good amount of conviction in all my picks. That one's the one I'm like the least confident in, but um i was big on the rangers i lost faith and they kind of made me restore that faith um with what they did in the wild card series diamondbacks dodgers i don't think this is going to be particularly close i think it's going to end in four games maybe even three and i've got the diamondbacks winning that the dodgers pitching is in shambles the diamondbacks went up against the brewers in the wild card series of course and they were, I mean, game one, Brandon fought a rookie versus Corbin Burns. That's a tough matchup, kind of in a boat where like, if you lose that game, it's okay. You still have Zach Gallen and Merrill Kelly in games two and three. If you win that, you're sitting quite pretty. They won that and they were indeed sitting quite pretty, go out and win game two behind Zach Gallen as well. And I think they're just going to get more of the same. I like that pitching. They saved Kelly's. He's, he's, he's going to be able to throw game one because they finished it off in sweep fashion. Um, again, Dodgers pitching is in shambles. Their lineup's obviously great, but I like this Diamondbacks team. I think they got it done in four. Okay. Phillies Braves. I think if it gets to a game five, the Phillies win game five. Max Fried, again, is going to have some, some question marks heading into that game five start. Um, how's the blister? How did it hold up in game two? I mean, there's a chance he isn't even able to make that start. It won't be Spencer Strider unless they were to push him back from game four, which I don't see happening. I think if it gets to game five, the Phillies win that, which means if the Braves want to win the NLDS, they're going to have to win it in three or four, which means I don't see a sweep. I'm, these teams are too evenly matched. I don't think that's, that's, that's going to happen, which means that the Braves have to either win both of games one and two at home or win one at Citizens Bank Park. Obviously, they could do the opposite. They could win one at home and then two on the road, but that's less likely. So let's just go with the other one. I think that I, I, I could see I could see either of those happening. I don't know if I can see both of them happening. Um, I think they probably split. I'm going to give the Braves game one. They, I think they get off to, a, I, I think they've been ready. They've been anticipating this, this matchup just as much as everybody else has. They've been hearing everybody talk about it. Oh, the Phillies are going to come in and knock off the 104 win Braves. I think they make a statement in game one. Spencer Strider has been awesome again against winning teams. Um, he's got the home crowd there to back him. They can be as quiet as he asked them to. I think they go ahead and take game one. I think the Phillies take game two behind Wheeler and they get to Max Freed. Going back to Citizens Bank Park for game three, Nola at home, who's been awesome this year. Um, well, not awesome, but he's been 329 at, at, at home, plus what he did against the Marlins just now. I think that's very solid. Um, against Bryce Elder, who has not been pitching his best the last few months. I think the Phillies 
it might look a lot like game three did last year where they kind of just route them. Um, game four, I mean, I'm I'm tempted to say that the Phillies just finished that off in four. They get to Strider again. Um, I'm not going to make a too big deal out of the fans thing, but maybe I think, I think you got to give the Braves game four just because the pitching matchup there, Strider versus Ranger Suarez. I know pitching isn't like everything or the starting pitchers isn't everything, but it also just feels like this series is too evenly matched not to go five. Um, but I think again, if the Braves don't finish it off in four, if the Braves fall behind two to one, I think, I think the Phillies go back. And if it takes a game five, the Phillies are going to get that game five. So I'm going to go with the Phillies in five. They win games two, three, and five. Match up with the Diamondbacks in the NLCS. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, I would say out of all the series in which I have the most conviction in my picks, I'd say I'm the most confident in my Twins or Diamondbacks pick, and I'm less confident in my Rangers and my Phillies picks just because Look, the Phillies are playing outstanding baseball. The Braves are a really tough baseball team. It's going to take a lot to beat them. In the end, I have them winning it, but it's going to be one heck of an NLDS. And again, one we've, the Phillies seem to have wanted, the Braves seem to have wanted um, ever since the Phillies knocked them out last year. And we're getting it. It's going to be a lot of fun. We'll be back to talk about it. But until then, thank you, everybody, for tuning in. And we will talk to you next time.